Dr. Carol Francis, clinical psychologist, but today we are here to inform you about the advantages and the ways in which you can be a fantastic leader regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in in terms of being a leader. Whether it's the PTA, your family with your children, corporations being entrepreneurial and self-employed or ahead of a small business, it doesn't matter. You're going to find yourself in leadership positions. However, Bill Boyajian, the CEO. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm great, Dr. Francis. Thank you. He has written an absolutely worthy book called The Developing the Mind of a Leader. And, Bill, I'm so glad you've done this. It's a book that's readable, that's usable. You can take it and walk away and think and contemplate and come back to learn the next set of lessons. And as one of your critiquers said, you can go anywhere in that book, pick up some pointers, and the value is intact that you don't have to feel like you have to read it and study it from beginning to end. You can move right into where you are in terms of learning how to be a leader. So, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. And I was wondering, instead of just dealing with all your wonderful, incredible credentials that you've been cultivating for over 40 years as a leader, we'll do that in a bit, I was wondering if you could talk to the listeners about the deep advantages of becoming a dynamic and worthy, worthwhile leader so that they can really begin to embrace how important it is to take notes during this time, to visualize how this is going to impact their team and their own lives. What are the advantages of being a very, very good, worthwhile leader in terms of the qualities and traits that you espouse in your book? Well, I think... uh my, my premise of the book is that we all lead in one capacity or another. So a lot of times people think in terms of, well, I'm really not a leader. Uh, I don't lead in my department or my, my division or my company. But but we all have a great influence on other people. And um, my, my feeling is that whether you're a single mom raising children, whether you're a manager of a department, whether you're a CEO, we all have a tremendous influence on others, and, and learning the traits of a great leader can help be a greater influence in the lives of other people. And my, my, my view is that people are what make a great organization, a great company, a great committee, a great team, and um, your ability as a leader to influence them in a positive way is really the key. Now, you are – it's really interesting, this word influencer is, is, is like a, a vogue word right now, but it's a powerful word as well. And yet you also differentiate in your book between a manager and a leader and a star. And now is, is there a way to differentiate with an influencer, or how do you see those four – kind of processes. So again, you have the manager, you have the leader, the star, the influencer. How how do you see all that coalescing together or segregating? 
Yeah, well, my uh, my view of leadership is uh, it's really an art. It, it's how mm-hmm. you deal with people and how you can move and, I would say, influence others. I think management is more of a science. It's a science of uh, improving the quality of something, refining it, making it better. Um, I think the distinction between leadership and management is really critical, and I, I, I make those points uh, in my book. Um, mm-hmm. But leaders well. and managers can can both influence, uh, but I think they influence in different ways. So let's talk about the leader in in terms of really coming to terms uh, to how that is so unique in any situation. What's a leader versus a manager? A leader versus a star? What are the qualities of a leader, or the activities or the functions of a leader that you are? trying to focus on in your book? Well, leaders uh, obviously lead out. They're uh, creative. They they like to plan. They like to inspire. Um, they direct. They innovate. They tend to be uh, more risk takers and kind of out there, big picture, uh, flexible, but focused. Um, they, they, they model uh, strength. Um, for other people. And and as a result, they influence others in a way that's really quite unique. I think leadership is one of the greatest um, skills that somebody could have, and I think it's one of the weakest areas in our Mm. country today and in our our businesses. Mm. I couldn't agree more. So what's the difference between someone who's at the top of the company, a top of the country, uh, the top of a household and a leader. I mean, what what distinguishes someone who may have the position, but not necessarily the qualities of a leader? Well, I think the higher you go uh, in a company, the the greater the demands on your on your skill level. Obviously, every leader has to have a core competence, but not every leader can can rise to a position where they can be over. Other senior leaders. This is really unique as you as you move up the ladder in the corporate world, or uh, as an entrepreneur and growing the business uh, from five million to ten million to fifty million or more. Uh, it really depends on the level of maturity, on the level of skill and competence, and also on your ability to marshal uh, great people around you and, and to influence them for the positive. Now, the great people around you, there is a part of your book where you talk about be a 10 and gather the 10s around you. Can you flesh that out? It might fit what you're saying. Sure. I I say it simply that uh, 10s tend to hire 10s, whereas Mm -hmm. 7s tend to hire 5s and 6s. And what I mean by that is that if you are a strong leader, you know the value of hiring people as smart or even smarter than you to be able to take your organization, your committee, wherever, uh, to to another height. Um, I'd call a middle manager a seven. And, and if you are an insecure middle manager that wants to hire people under you but wants to control those people and wants to uh, maintain a position over those people, you tend to hire at a slightly lower level to bring followers under you that you can control. So it's very simple. Leaders hire great people like themselves 
and uh, people on a lower level will hire people that are followers that uh, that they could control or or influence in in their based on their capacities. Okay, so that's interesting. So everybody right now who's listening would be it would be worthwhile for them to consider their comfort level in terms of who they want to work in their team or work for them or work in the project and to kind of scrutinize their comfort level with people who are equally or more competent than they are or people who are less competent than they are. Is that worthwhile? And let's say they find, oh, gosh, I'm really more comfortable with people who are less competent than than they are. What is the process of evolving their own personality or, or, or attitude as a leader that would make them move up the rung of, of, of growing that ten, the team of ten? I think a lot of it has to do with maturity. Uh, if people are insecure about their position, uh, about their personality, about their the way they deal with others in a social environment, a professional environment, um, they're really not going to rise as high, and and they they really have to take. I think we all have to take stock of who we are as an individual, what our capabilities are. Be honest, uh, really know what our strengths and and our areas of growth are, and then to focus on those areas of growth, not just the the strengths that we have. I often say, and I say in the book, that our greatest strengths can become our greatest weaknesses, and. Hmm. So what we want to do is balance our lives out. We want to balance out, you know, our strengths with those areas of growth and develop the maturity and the confidence that, that um, you know, we could hire people just as good as us or better than us. And, and frankly, I think that's one of the great skills of a leader. No question. You know, it comes to mind it, 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 we're in an era where there's a lot of narcissism or self-promotion or fear of losing one's job and having to promote oneself excessively in order to kind of like state, hey, I have worth here so that I don't lose my job or don't lose my position or I'm not overlooked for a promotion, so that the distraction of all of that moves you away from being able to take stock on where you need to grow and where your weaknesses are and being able to uh, move away from having to work on selling yourself. What would be your take on that kind of process that goes on these days? Well, I think you're 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 dead on. Um, I consult for a number of companies where I see, particularly people that are up in years, uh, very very concerned about you know the recession that we just went through and mm-hmm. and uh, a smaller 401k and holding on to a job and I just see a lot of fear in the marketplace mm-hmm. and yeah. and uh, th- there's no easy way to get somebody outside of that fear except to to encourage them to do their job well. When they do their job well and they, they have they exude confidence, it really breeds confidence in those above them. And uh yes, it's a tougher time right now. I think there's a lot of sort of cautious, maybe some optimism, but but I think people are still very cautious in the workplace. And uh, and I would I would encourage people to lead out, be bold, uh take some measured risks and um I think I think success begets success. Small successes give confidence, and confidence is what uh, allows somebody to uh, be the leader that they really should be. It, it, you know, fear stymies and stalls individuals 
because they stay so connected to the emotion that that creates paralysis. We know that neurologically, we know that emotionally and psychologically, and here we are seeing people in fear, so they, they tend to not uh, be uh, sound mind in those measured risks, as you say it. They tend to not uh, be competent and careful, and also their motivation level is reduced because they're living in angst as opposed to the verb and enthusiasm of feeling like they can make a difference in, in their surroundings. Yes, I, I quite agree. In fact, I, I I have a whole chapter on uh, on courage, and uh, you know, I start with mm-hmm. a with a Mark Twain quote: "Courage is resistance to fear, uh, mastery of fear, not the absence of fear." We we all have a degree of fear, and I think uh, our you know learning how to master that fear and be courageous in some of the decisions we make and some of the actions that we take. Uh, really important for a leader. I love your six C's. And so everybody, get your pencils out, your papers out, your devices out. You're going to take notes as Bill Boyajian talks about your six C's. You know, before we do that, a lot of individuals who are in leadership or management positions inherit their team. And so I interviewed a few people who have inherited their team. They said things like the following. I'd love to hear your response to inheriting a team that you have to stay, quote-unquote, stuck with. Excuse me. But there, many people feel that way in the leadership position. They're not allowed or they're not in a situation where they can fire or shift or even train or spend a lot of money on training. So leaders in finding themselves in this predicament really do uh, face an alternate circumstance. So they have to figure out how to train limited resources. They have to figure out how to motivate when there's a lot of backstabbing or competition that's unhealthy or people who are very demotivated and wish they could get out of there, people who are spending a lot more time doing Facebook at work than they are doing, you know, facing their work. We could go on and on with circumstances like that, but again, how does a leader move into or adopt or take a team that's given to them that is not functioning and Find a path to turning it around. It's a huge question, isn't it? So I'm sorry to put that to you, but that is a very central question that I talk to a lot of leaders about in the, in the interim. How do you well, think? I think it's a great question, and I think uh, most anybody in business today has, if they've risen to a position, they've almost always inherited some team members, um, and they have to learn how to deal with that. Um, I did the same thing when I became president of GIA back in 1986, and and I think one of the keys is to um, be be strong but be open, um, show some degree of flexibility and openness to listening to what people have to say. You know, oftentimes we we fail to listen to people who have been in the trenches. We think we we come in and we want to take over as an authority, but really. We're as a collaborative type of leader. You want to to listen to what people have to say. You want to earn their respect. That's most important. You want to be respected more than you're necessarily being liked. And I think when you show strength and balance and and flexibility and openness, if you have you have a listening ear, uh, but are decisive at the same time, I think I think you gain the respect of those under you. 
And at certain times, there's nothing you can do. Uh, and I think you have to lay the law down and set the standard and and uh, allow people to make decisions of whether they want to stay or go is on a basis of that. How does the leader deal with backbiting or unhealthy competition in the work arena? My feeling is just be uh, candid, uh, open, mm-hmm. honest, uh, Call people into a neutral room and just sat down and talk to them and and uh, ask them uh, what their feelings are about certain situations and and um, you know, don't leave the room without setting certain agreed upon standards that that both of you will agree to. Uh, there won't be backbiting. There won't be talk behind my back. There and, and likewise, there won't it won't come from me either as as the leader. I will show you respect. You please show me respect, and that's the standard that we want to use in moving forward. Okay. How does a leader deal with an individual who's in a job they're really truly not trained or competent or even have the personality to feel satisfactorily? Well, I think it's as leaders, it's our obligation to help people achieve and, and to give them the training, the motivation, the inspiration, uh, the competence level for them to be successful. But at the end of the day, uh, if they don't have that skill or they don't show the prevent propensity to, to learn, they don't have the attitude and the openness to want to learn, then you have to other decisions to make. Uh, I've had many situations where somebody inherits a, um, a division or a department and finds somebody that's not in the right fit. I talk a lot about fit. In my book, you've got to find the right place for for every individual, and most people really want to do a good job. So, um, you know, make sure that you have them in the right uh, place and and give them the proper training, and they either respond or they don't respond. And I think you'll know very quickly if you're a strong and confident leader whether somebody can make the grade or not. Okay. How does an individual deal with <laughs> you weren't expecting these case scenarios, I imagine, but how does a leader deal with um I, I hear this so much. The current generation has a tremendous quantity of a sense of entitlement. They're entitled to a huge salary, they're entitled to uh, all these uh, luxuries. Uh, it's it, it definitely decreased since the employment situation is different when people graduate you now out of college. But a few years ago, when that wasn't the situation, the workforce, the young workforce, I've heard over and over again from leaders with whom I worked, that there was this incredible sense of artificial entitlement. What does a leader do with that? Well, I, you know, I was, I, I'm a classic baby boomer, and uh, mm-hmm. so we, you know, we were raised with the idea: work hard, work smart, stay with the company, grow, do whatever is mm-hmm. necessary in order to achieve and to move up a ladder. Mm-hmm. And certainly, even my children's age at uh, at 26 and 29, they are raised mm-hmm. in a different generation. And I think you're right. I think that they've been exposed to so much more. Uh, at a younger age, and uh, yet I'm, you know, I'm uh, one who believes that um, there's really no hard work really pays dividends in the long run, and and I think people do have a sense of entitlement today, and I think that's been bred into our culture. There's also a, a healthy degree of skepticism today about uh, government, about business, about mm. you know, loyalty. 
loyalty to a firm. That that really didn't exist 30 years ago as I was making my mark in a corporation. So um, I think we have to be, as leaders, we have to be smarter. I think we have to understand uh, the different generations. I think we have to do our, our homework and our reading and know how to what motivates and what inspires people of different ages. I think that's all part of a leader learning uh, about uh, younger generations as they're moving into the workforce. And uh, it's critical. I, I say in my book, leaders are learners. And, and you're never going to stop learning. If, when you stop, you know, you're, you're really going backwards. Beautiful. Thank you. Wow. Nice, nice handling those curveballs there. Bill, I think it's time to say a little bit about your fantastic credentials before we move into those six C's. Introduce yourself and why you are completely qualified to write this book, to consult, to help leaders on the top level know how to lead. What are your credentials? Well, I, I uh, after graduating from college, I went to the uh, Gemological Institute of America, really the educators of the world's professionals in gems and jewelry, mm-hmm. and I did well uh, in school and was really inspired to want to um, have a career there. So I was fortunate enough to do well, to be hired as a staff gemologist, uh, got into teaching, and, and teaching was a great um learning experience of understanding different cultures because our students were from all over the world mm-hmm. and so you 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 learn you learn different different cultures and and that that in in itself was uh, exciting i got into management and sort of uh, worked hard to do well at each step of the way and was um Became president, was asked to be president of the organization from a manager level over the directors and vice presidents uh, to become the president at the ripe old age of 34. So uh, <laughs> probably probably too young, and uh, but but full of energy and full of um, uh, vision to want to take an organization and 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 move it to another level. And I think uh, assembling a great team, building people behind us, um, really the key was was building a vision and then, and then having the people uh, around me that would help fulfill that vision. So it's never a one-man band. It's always a team, uh, in my view. And um, had a great run, 20 years uh, before retiring, and and it was just a just a wonderful, wonderful experience. A great industry and a great uh, organization. So, uh, in the process of uh, doing this, of course, I did a lot of leading. I did a lot of lecturing. I did a lot of speaking, and I formed a a, a talk on leadership, and um, I get such great uh, responses that. When I retired and had a, a gap of time, uh, just chose to want to document as much as I could, um, and hence uh, developing the mind of a leader uh, came out um, just last year, and uh, very exciting and, and a great accomplishment for myself, you know, personally, but yeah. but also hopefully one that contributes to um, betterment of leaders around us. Are you ready to take a question? Someone who's calling in. You ready? Sure. Hello, listener. Welcome to Dr. Carol Francis. We're here with Bill Boyajian, who is the author of Developing the Mind of a Leader. And who are you, and what would you like to ask? Hi, Dr. Francis. Uh, this is Courtney Walker. And, oh, uh, I just, Hi. 
I just thought I'd call in and congratulate Bill on this wonderful uh, book. You know, there's two things that I always find interesting in um, what I call great reads. One is it is, in fact, easy to digest and understand, and I think Bill's done a fantastic job with this. And then the second thing is it's got staying power. It's not not something that you want to put on the bookshelf and kind of forget about, but this is a book that, you know, you keep on your desk and you keep referring to, and and he's got a great mix of personal stories as well as the, you know, the core data kind of thing. So, Bill, congratulations on this on this fine book. Thanks very much, Court. Really appreciate it. And Courtney Walker, you're the one that actually introduced me to Bill, and you said, and I'm going to quote you without even asking permission, that he was one of the best leaders you have ever had the opportunity to work with. Do you want to say more about your experience working with Bill? I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. Um, one of the, the, the things that I really appreciated in him as a as a leader was the fact, and he, he does point this out in his book too, is he always knew where he wanted to go, even when there was you know tremendous pressure and um, lots of different paths that could be taken, you know, and I think one of the examples that uh, stands out in my mind would probably be the Antwerp lab experience and, you know, there, that particular um, option that we came across as an executive team, there were many obstacles in the process of trying to develop that and put it into place. And as each obstacle was hurdled, there was uh, many different paths that could be taken. But ultimately, the plug was pulled on, and it was a difficult decision, but, you know, it, it was a true testimony of his leadership capability because his passion never waned, you know, and wow. so the team was always right there. And I think that's that's a, that's a, a good example, and, Another thing that comes to mind is one of the things I learned from Bill was the power of the personal note. I mean, it may be seen so simple, you know, so um, it, it's probably so simple it's really elegant because you don't really think anything about it from the writer's maybe perspective, but the mileage that you get out of it when it's placed in the hands of the person that you're trying to inspire, Bill knew how to use that tool in his tool set and um, just um, created many, many, many kinds of returns from his people with that skill he had. Oh, wow. Courtney, that, those are beautiful tools. How, how do you respond, Bill? What does that make you think about? Well, it... it Thank you, Court, for the kind remarks. And and uh, you know, my 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 focus is always on people, and I just feel like uh, if you have the greatest people, you have the greatest organization. And um, I really feel if you have a, if you have the heart of a leader, you really are focused on people, uh, taking them to places that that they wouldn't go on their own. And and you know, it really is that it's the little things in life, and it's the little things in leadership that help uh, to frame a reputation and build a character that 
where, where people want to follow you. I, I really feel that leadership is caught much more than it's taught. And I, I think that when you model good leadership, uh, people get inspired and they want to follow you. And, and as one as one director said to me uh, more than once, you know, that she'd jump out of the second story for me. Well, how do you get people to jump out of the second story? Uh, you, you do that by modeling good leadership, by being honest, uh, by being credible and having the traits that I talk about in the book uh, um, that, that make for a great leader. Honesty. We're going to take just a moment of a break just to give Bill a rest. We will be returning in about 20 seconds. We are returning with Bill Boyajian, the author of Developing the Mind of a Leader and a Leader in His Own Right, well-trained with lots of different organizations under his belt. Bill, welcome back. Courtney Walker, welcome back. And you have this amazingly profound list of six C's. And everybody listening, write these down because these should be posted on your mirror, on your heart, as you develop the qualities you need to really be an influencer in a leadership position. Bill, take it away. Just list off the six first, and let's go to your favorite right thereafter. What are the six? Well, I, I in the center section of my book, the second part of the book, uh, after I talk about the leadership call, what leadership is, I talk about um, shared traits of great leaders, the six C's, and that would be character, charisma, courage, communication, credibility, and care. And I guess of those six, um, I think character is probably the most important. Maybe subliminally, that's that's why I started the chapter six with character. Um, you know, a lack of character uh, is going to indicate to others uh, a lack of respect and mutual respect, not just uh for followers to respect a leader, but for a leader to to respect their followers. So I, you know, reputation is so critical, and, and reputation is formed from the character of an individual. And I just um, I just find that to be you know the most important, and you know really the first of of uh, six C's that I think are critical to any leader. Okay, so character is number first. You say you won't be affected because people will see right through you. If you don't have character, your reputation is what people think of you. It is based on your character, on who you are, be a leader of character. What's next on your list of favorites? Well, uh, charisma I put second. And, and I, you know, people think of charismatic leaders and they think people are, you know, can be very bombastic or outspoken. And and, and I, I just have seen, I know my mentor, uh, GIA, was a quiet uh, leader with real charisma and um, his ability when he when he walked into a room uh, he didn't have to say anything he was a small man uh, Richard Lidicote but he was a man of great character and personality uh, quiet but when he walked into a room 
uh, you, everybody knew it. They, they knew they were in the presence of somebody really important. So charisma, you, you know, is really abil- the ability to attract people like a uh, like a magnet. That people want to be close to you and, and they want to get to know you. Um, but you don't have to be a glib-talking, outspoken individual. You can be quiet and you can have that... Uh, what I call the quiet charisma that is really very, very powerful today. Good to great, uh, Jim Collins talks about a level five leader, and I think level five leaders have that charisma in different ways that they attract and and, uh, they attract people around them. You say you needn't be an outgoing cheerleader, but you have to be able to draw people like a magnet. So be a leader with charisma. Bill, can you pause here for a moment? Wow. How do you move from... Being a hard worker, conscientious, and, and credible, and create charisma. How, how do we attract people to us? What what is magnetism? How do we how do we manufacture our ability to be magnetic? Well, I think if people with charisma have this kind of natural ability, they have they have real energy. Uh, they have this sort of eternal optimism. They have they have uh, a spark in them that ignites followers, that makes people want to be around them. They have passion for what they do. Uh, that passion spills over into uh, their relationships with others. Um, they love people. They they want to be around them. They make themselves accessible to others. Uh, they have an attractive personality and temperament that, that sort of draws people to them. And and then they know how to share words of encouragement. They know how to give credit to other people. They don't take the credit themselves. They they're they're just the kind of people you want to be around. Um, that 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 to me is a real trait of a great leader. I think uh, Courtney, you calling in today and saying what you've said about Bill suggests that you experience his charisma. Is that true, Courtney? Uh, definitely, yeah. That Bill, um, when he was with with GIA, I think he he shared a little bit about this. But um, when he first called me in, uh, he was 34. I think I was 33, and we we knew each other um, from uh, the church setting, and so. Uh, he got this great appointment. He was a manager. He was he leapfrogged over several um, other VPs, and he was made um, interim president. And part of that process, he was involved with rebuilding the team. And uh, he called me in. And I really didn't know Bill all that much, um, just kind of like passing in the hallways and uh, but he had this passion about mm-hmm. his job, and when he mm-hmm. called me to for an interview, I could just see that this is the kind of guy that you really want to work for, um, mm-hmm. because what he has is going to rub off. It's going to make you a better person, um, and uh, there's an excitement there to this passion that you just catch and you want to go with it. And um, I think that's the the real essence of what Bill refers to as a character. You know, that's that's something that I don't think is 
is learned. It's, it's something that is inbred. Somebody either has it or they don't. And Bill is one of those uh, few people in the world that do. See, Bill, I'm so glad Courtney's here because I would rather read a book by an author who has proven his wares. It's like, you know, I don't really want to read a cookbook by someone who doesn't know how to cook and eats out in fast food restaurants. <laughs> so here, here you have Courtney Walker to say, no, this is the real thing. You're learning from a real individual that has embraced these things deeply and manifested them successfully in companies. Thanks, Courtney. That was beautifully said. And so now, Bill, without having a chance to respond, you're going to move us on to the third C. What's your third favorite? Well, it's courage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just really feel that we all have uh, certain inbred fears, and and I think that we have to overcome them. I think a lot of times, uh, leaders' greatest uh, attributes shine in times of crisis, in times of trouble, uh, where you know really their their leadership comes through. I, one could uh, look at Lincoln or Washington as presidents and and see the trying times that these presidents went through and was it was it the trying time that made them uh such great leaders or or did it bring out the greatest in them i think a lot of times in crises we find uh where our true leadership lies and i, I think a lot of times it has to do with how courageous we are in times of uh, in of times of trouble so it is well said, and I'm not going to put you in the spot in terms of having to make commentary on current leaders and corporations, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I know that inside of the listeners and, and who are paying attention to what goes on in different businesses, corporations, government, we're really disillusioned by our leaders because times are very hard and there's still a lot of self-promotion, self-interest that's elevated above the well-being of the people they're supposedly representing and leading. And that self-interest comes in terms of overstuffing their pocketbook or denying their responsibility or not taking charge of difficult circumstances or steering a company in a way that's going to devastate people. Um, and so there, it's a plethora of this occurring, um, and it's devastating our economy all over the planet as well as truly not leading us into being progressive. But, okay, that's all my opinion, so... You don't have to agree with anything I've just said, Bill, but I know that there are many listeners that that's what they feel and think as well. So this component of courage, a leader that's courageous enough to face the difficulties that exist in the company, with its people, with how to impact society, but in addition, the courage to face your own need to self-deny or self-gratify um, and, and self-promote because because you are the captain of a ship that might be sinking. And do you flee the ship like recently in the cruise liner um, and, and get away while everybody else around is either dying or jumping off of a ship? Or do you stay and are you the last there making sure everybody has the optimal opportunity to survive? So courage, wow. Any response you'd like to give to that, Bill? Well, I think yeah, I think you're right on. I think uh, politics can have a huge impact on whether people can lead out and make decisions. Um, I use an example in the book of uh, David Cameron forming a coalition government in 
in England and Great Britain and and um, not taking all the heat for the difficult decisions that they've had to make. I'd like to see that in our own country where uh, there is a coalition and a in in a, in a, um, a bipartisanship that that is really a positive uh, for for the country. Uh, I, I think that true leaders shine in times of crisis, uh, and and we certainly have our our our. Our challenges in 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 the United States today. Beautifully said. Okay, your next favorite C. Well, it's communication. I have a whole chapter, in fact, a large chapter devoted to communication. I just think it's so critical. Uh, when I I I mentor a few young men, and and uh, one of the things that I tell them all the time is. It's, it's not just what we say, but it's how we say it. It's the body language you use. It's the sincerity we come across uh, uh, to our followers. Uh, communication is such a critical aspect of, of every form of life, whether it's uh, marriage, business. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. Communication is critical, and a, and a good leader learns first to be a good listener and um, really pays attention to what other people feel and think so that they can know how to deal with them in a positive way. I, I, um, I love the uh, the uh, uh, quote by Stephen Covey. In fact, I have it in my book: "Seek first to understand, and then to be understood." And and I really think that um, you know, listening carefully and then appropriately dealing with people, uh, communicating in different ways, verbally, non-verbally, in writing. Um, in, in every way is is really critical for a leader. And how do you deal in, in terms of communication? How do you deal with individuals that are nonstop communicative about the negative or about their opinion or their point of view? They're domineering or dominant in terms of taking the podium and, and charging forth without being listeners themselves. So therefore, they actually create an audience because there's no opportunity for anybody to voice opinion or for even a leader to take hold of the moment. So communication uh, with them, listening to them, is that detrimental? Or how how would you deal with that? Yes, I, we're all insecure in, in different ways, and our insecurities come out in, in, some pe- in some people, as you say, by dominating a conversation or trying to control or be the dominant spokesperson in a, in a group. And and it, honestly, what I do is just pull them aside if it's really gotten out of hand, and I just uh, try to be very candid with them. Most people know that they have this weakness. Uh, if they can't fess up to it, then they're really in denial. And I think, again, the key is to be an open, honest communicator with individuals based on their strengths and, and their their weaknesses. And, and uh, I, I just I like the direct approach. I like the thoughtful kind approach and uh, the tough love approach and if people don't respond to that then then there's probably nothing I can do to help them at that time hmm. so how do you deal with a team where you're kind of stuck with that I, I'm sorry repeat that please how do, how do you deal with a team where you have a member or members that are like that how do you deal with a team where someone does not change those qualities and yet there's a team member or team members that create that kind of attitude or atmosphere. How does a leader cope with that? Yeah, I've had that situation, and and it's amazing. You can have uh, eight or nine direct reports and team meetings, and one person is is uh, 
just seems to be out of sync. And and I know in in my own experience, when I have uh, seen fit to say, say to that person, I think it's time that you move on. Uh, the entire dynamic of the team changes. So I, I just think a lot of times one individual. In fact, I'm I'm consulting with a company right now where I've recommended that this one individual go. It would relieve the tension, the pressure from all the people, and help uh, the leader build uh, a quality team, the team that he really wants. And and he's hesitant, he's resistant, um, but I just know that that one person is causing the problem amongst uh, the entire group. And my view is always the team, uh, the group is more important than any one individual. And I think that's a critical uh, sort of axiom to, to follow as a leader. Okay, next, your next favorite. If it's this one on the list, it's, this is my favorite, this next one. <laughs> Well, it's credibility. Yeah, it's it's credibility, and and uh, people that uh, lack credibility can really not uh, cannot lead because they can't engender the trust of their followers. They don't know how to build and earn respect. Uh, they have a tendency to to not give credit. Uh, they often will pass the buck, uh, pass the responsibility on to others instead of taking the responsibility ability themselves and and I think the the way one goes about building credibility is to model integrity uh, to have a strong ethical core uh, to do what they are, say they're going to do by keeping their commitments and and being quietly content with who they are as an individual so I think you know being open being teachable uh, demonstrating a degree of loyalty to others is really important in building credibility. Credibility is all about trust, and it's all about um, people believing in you. And, and uh, I have had occasion where I've had people that have such great leadership skills and in, in, um, in their competency, competency, their knowledge. They, you know, they, they exude all kinds of leadership, but they can't get people to trust them. And um, that's where they fail as a leader. What is the difference between perception, as you mentioned in your book, and reality in terms of um, in terms of credibility? Well, I think uh, you know I say in the book that perception is reality. It's it's an individual's reality of how they perceive a particular person or a situation, and and we all you know we all have a lens of life that we we see through, and uh, that's based on our upbringing. It's based on what we've learned. Um, all of that, but um, my view is 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 that you know a credible leader is one who has been through thick and thin. People have watched the character of an individual, and they know that they can trust them in what they say. And if you can't do that, you can't earn the respect of people. And if you can't earn their respect, you're not going to be able to lead them. Or, or if you do, you lead them in an authoritarian manner that, that uh, really doesn't work in the 21st mm -hmm. century. Mm -hmm. So I, and it, it, people, uh, leaders, people who are promoted into a leadership position uh, will come to my office and say, look, I'm so afraid that I'm going to be found out that I don't know what I'm doing, that I'm not competent. Um, so what do I do? How do I exude this credibility? And I find this such a paradox that when I'm asked that question by these promoted leaders, 
because there's no way you can exude credibility unless you actually have the credentials, experience, knowledge. Um, And if you don't have the credentials and knowledge to be able to be forthright with that and put yourself into the position of a learner, um, it it is so different to say, look, you cannot trust me until you've tested me. I'm not going to expect you to give me your trust, but give me your respect long enough so we can develop that trust. But instead, I find people going under the bush trying to hide their lack of credentials, and that just breeds this atmosphere of not being credible. So what do you recommend to the leader that actually is promoted without complete qualifications, but the company needs their leadership? Um, We're obviously not talking about the very top rung. uh, It needs their leadership but they don't have every single thing that that position would be ideally filled with. How does does the person breed, create, work with credibility under those circumstances? Well, I think, again, I I would say to be honest with people and to say, look, I've I've been asked to, to lead this process and I'm going to do that. I don't have all the answers myself, but I do have the set of skills that has been seen to be or believed to be effective. But I'm going to need you to help help me. I'm going to need complementary skills all around me. I'm going to need quality people, and you are those people that uh, will demonstrate uh, the kind of competency that will make up for any shortcomings that I may have and that we as a team move forward together uh, in a way that, that uh, will be stronger. It's not just a one-person show. It's a... It's a team that moves forward, and the only way to do that is to be honest with yourself, what your strengths are, and then to bring people around you that complement those strengths. Beautiful. And your last C. Well, the last C is care. And, and um, you know, I, I love John Maxwell's uh, quote that I put in the book, you've got to love your people more than your position. And I think a lot of times people think that they have, earned their authority on the basis of their title or their position. And and my feeling is that you take responsibility, but you have to earn authority. And and I think the way you earn it is by by really caring for people. So I talk about having real heart, about uh, letting people into your life, about having an open-door policy and, and a feeling that, that people can get close to you. I mean, there will always be a, a a very transparent, I almost call it a cellophane shield between you and the people that are under you. But hmm. it's one that they can't see. Uh, I, I really feel that caring and, and being nurturing to the, to the degree necessary is important. You have to get people to want to follow you. And the way they'll want to follow you is is by really knowing that you that you care. I, I think it was I think it was uh, Zig Ziglar who who said people don't you know care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. And that's really a mantra that I've always used in in developing and inspiring people. How, every human being has their frustration or irritation limits. There's every leader can be frustrated with a team, with the, the functionality, the success taking place or a particular dynamic of, an, of a personality or the personalities that, are, that rub you wrong or, or it, it, we could go down a long list so that frustration, anger, irritation are part of being human so that to have 
um, charisma, care, communication with, with those individuals that get under your skin, frustrate you, get you edgy, test you, are testy, how do you how do you lace that into being a leader in dealing with your own internal responses? Well, those uh, the people that uh, hit your hot buttons are always very challenging, and mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes there are just people that really grind you wrong. And I think you have to step back and say, what is it about this individual that really puts me over the top? That that where I lose frustration. Why am I going to allow that person to drag me down to their level of maturity as opposed to me staying at a at a much higher level? And uh, it's difficult. Uh, it's challenging. And um, I, I think it requires a great deal of patience. I think it requires a, a great deal of, of uh, perspective of yourself. And it's really hard to be introspective and to to say, you know, maybe I am a big part of the problem, not just that individual. What is it about me that is causing uh, me to get frustrated? And and sometimes you can't resolve the, the situation. I don't mean to tell your audience that you can resolve it in, in every case. You really can't uh, in every case. And I think as long as you give it your best, I think we have an obligation to help people succeed. And if we've gone out of our way, bent like a like a willow tree, and it still doesn't work, then I think it's time for a change. Okay. So in light of all of that, Bill, you know, I work with a lot of leaders that come to my office. I'll, you'll never know who they are because of confidentiality. I like it that way. They get complete <laughs> privacy. I am in the admiration of the leaders that do come to me because they could walk in their ego instead of in their honesty. And it's not easy because they're used to being on top and using, used to being very competent. So what the leaders are listening, or the, the leaders-to-be that are listening, when is it time, what are the signs of when they need to go and seek a, a psychologist or a consultant or a, a coach that can specifically move them onward, upward, or through frustrations or difficult? What are the signs that it's time to not be self-reliant and to create a team that's private? and uh, supportive of yourself as a human being? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, until people are ready, I have a friend that says uh, um, that the, the change can't happen until change happens. <laughs> uh, in effect, uh, until we are ready emotionally to make a change, we're, we're really, we're down uh, to a point where we realize we can't do it all ourselves, that we, that uh that that's when I think we we need to seek uh professional help professional guidance and and I think the the key I, I say one of the key in the book I say that one of the keys to being a great leader is to be introspective to be able to look at yourself very objectively and 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 you know put that tough love on yourself so that if we need help um we go get it I have a one client who says that uh, even though he's a business management expert he needs a consultant to help him be better and to listen to him, his own advice that he gives to his clients. And and I think we all need somebody like that, that we can trust, that mm-hmm. um, we can be open with, and that we can share our challenges with. And I think that the the balance of that and their, and their coaching and their 
their advice can be very, very helpful, and I'm sure you do that with those that come to you. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay, let's do a little bit of a twist right now. Courtney, you still there? Still here. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So a great leader also is made by great support and great individuals that work on the team. And I think it's important to know that not everybody should be in a leadership position on a team. In fact, that might actually, you know, too many cooks can spoil the pot sort of thing. So what are the qualities the listeners who are thinking about being leader, they're they're participating in a team not as a leader, but as someone who is supportive and carrying out whatever functions are necessary. So what qualities and those that are on part of the supportive aspects of the team, the functional aspects of the team, maybe the project managers, et cetera, and Courtney, you were among that uh, part of, you may have been a leader in your own um, sections, but you were part of Bill's team. And what qualities do you need your team to have? Do leaders need their, their team to have so that the, the supportive individuals can create the leaders that they need? Ideally, I think. Go ahead, Bill. No, I, I wasn't sure if that was for you or for me, Court. Sorry. Well, Go ahead. I wasn't quite sure. Either, you both are. <laughs> okay, I'm going to break the tie here. Courtney, um, hold on. I want to hear Bill first, and then, Courtney, I'm going to say something about you that I know about you um, that's relevant to this. So, Bill, go ahead and address that. What, what is your, what is, how do the team members need to uh, function in order to make a great leader? You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great sports fan, and I played sports growing up, and I learned a lot about teamwork uh, based on being on teams. And I... You know, think of uh, great basketball teams, for example. They, they'll they have their superstar or superstars, maybe one or two of them. But every player knows that they play a certain role, that they fit a particular gap that makes them a great team. And, and without those role players, we'll call them, uh, you just really can't have uh, a team that, that excels to the highest possible Level, and I think it's the same way in business. I, I think everybody plays an important role, and you have to make sure that people know they're playing an important role, and that they they see the value added that they are providing, and and that they're encouraged and they're motivated, and they they see that uh, they are you know a part of uh, a winning team. And you know people want to be heroes on their own but they also want to be part of a winning team, something that's much bigger than themselves. So that's my view. Beautiful. So in other words, bravado, narcissism, self-aggrandizement is not uh, something that either a leader or team member should embrace, but instead knowing the value of what they offer and how they can contribute that to the team. Now, now Courtney, we're going to go beyond that 60 minutes so you get a chance to speak well. But one thing I know about Courtney Walker from having worked on a, a team, a construction team actually, way back when I was 19, oh my gosh, ancient history, that Courtney Walker is incredibly team-oriented. He's an incredibly reliable worker. What what you need him to do, he will do to his best. He will not let anybody down. He has compassion and patience, and he will implement skills or train himself to learn skills. Well, Courtney, that's what I remember of you way back when. 
So I'm imagining that's the type of team player you were for Bill. Bill, what do you think? Can we confirm that? <laughs> oh, definitely. I think, uh, you know, Court was the chief financial officer and vice president and, and provided um, the insight from a different perspective than I would have. And I think that's, you know, every good leader needs complementary skills around them and Certainly, that's what Court provided for me, and it was uh, it was a fantastic uh, partnership and a great relationship. And um, those uh, those times are, are remembered very fondly. Uh, Courtney, what do you remember in working with with and for Bill? Were things you held to make your conscious of how you could make Bill an even better leader? What were the attitudes or qualities you remember steering yourself by? I think going back to your last question, um, one of the things that rubs off or rubbed off on me, I think, was learning to for a leader to set their insecurities aside and surround themselves by people who had excellence in whatever their disciplines are. And I mm-hmm. think uh, Bill's book, you know, The Mind of a Leader, addresses that. And, you know, from a psychology perspective, I guess it's it's always difficult to um, downplay our insecurities because those always pop up in our lives from time to time, no matter what enterprise or project we happen to be involved with. But to the extent that the leaders can set those aside and bring people into their team and build a team uh, that has uh, a passion for excellence and the individual disciplines that are required, then I think that's that's what uh, you know creates great team building. Beautiful, Bill. Why do you think about that? Oh, I think. Right on. I think uh, absolutely. We just we all support one another. We we believe in each other. We we see the skills and the talents that each brings, and and each uh, you know has their own set of strengths. And and it's the combination of those things that make for a great team. Bill, you are wonderful. I appreciate so much all this information. I'm so glad you called in to make a complimentary comparison to prove um, that this is. Worthy information from an expert. So, oh boy, yeah, oh my gosh, I butchered that. Let's do that again. Bill Boyajian, Developing the Mind of a Leader. This book is available. You can get it off of his site, BillBoyajianAssociates.com, which is listed on this radio show front. Bill, though, I'd like to give you a few more minutes to talk about something near and dear to you that we have not yet covered in this interview that you want the leaders and the leaders to be to take away? Well, yes. I, the, the last part of my book, um, I call it uh, creating the greater good. I talk about lessons in leadership. But what I really like to focus on in Chapter 13 and 14 and 15 is uh, 13 focus on serving. And I think a greatly misunderstood thing about leadership is that I think great leaders are really great servants, and and they serve their constituency well. Uh, in Chapter 14, I talk about moving from success to significance. You know, we spend 
I think generally the first uh, half or two-thirds of our lives trying to be successful. And um, and what we really ought to be doing more and more is to move from a life of success to a life of significance where we can make a difference in the lives of others. And uh, so I talk a lot about that and feel that that's really critical, even in succession planning, just moving on so that if you are the leader, you you really develop people under you such that you, your your role becomes less and less relevant. I think that's a great selfless way to to lead. And then I also talk a lot about uh, giving back um, the irony of altruism. That you know, it's a, it's amazing that the more you give to others, the more you receive uh, in return. And and then I close with. Um, you know, leaving a legacy. And I talk about three different legacies, uh, all quite different, but how, how we all should be learning how to, to leave a legacy that lives on beyond us. It, it's A legacy is really what's left when you're gone. And a legacy grows out of a desire to make a difference. And so the choices that we make determine our destiny and our legacy. And I think the key to leading is not necessarily how you start, but how you finish. And so I encourage people to finish strong. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Bill Boyage. And thank you both of you for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Listen again on demand, take notes, and charge forward. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you.